My name is Jackie Mineport. Today is Tuesday, April 6th. Welcome to the Capital Daily Podcast. Today on the show, we bring you a special Municipal Monday episode on a Tuesday. We bring you a crossover with the Best Coast political podcast. Today, we'll get a glimpse behind the curtain of Langford's unique city council and some of the odd situations that deserve a deep dive. This special edition of the podcast is in celebration of our launch of our West Shore newsletter. The West Shore will be everything readers love about our flagship Capital Daily newsletter, but will be focused specifically on all things West Shore. You can subscribe at theWestShore.ca. This special edition of the podcast is in celebration of the launch of our West Shore newsletter. The West Shore will be everything readers love about our flagship Capital Daily newsletter, but will be focused specifically on all things West Shore. You can subscribe to that at thewestshore.ca. Aaron Guillen is the reporter bringing you the newsletter to your inbox twice a week. To kick things off, he worked with the Best Coast political podcast for a look into some of the burning questions surrounding the city of Langford. Despite being recently voted the most livable city in Canada, it's been criticized for its endless sprawl, bland suburban geographies, and stagnant local government. But first, Aaron joins to share a little bit more about what to expect from our newest newsletter. Aaron, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So you live currently in the West Shore. Tell me what you like about living there. In the West Shore, honestly, I think my favorite part is just how close it is to the raw beauty and nature that is like the is Vancouver Island. Um, just last night I went on a quick run and I went up to Mill Hill and it has a site all the way down to downtown and I was just watching the sunset and I felt so calm and at peace and it's like 10 minutes from my house which is really really nice and then after that I went for a polar bear plunge in Esquimalt Lagoon and I feel like I I feel so alive when I'm just like in the ocean and it's so nice and uh yeah it's just being so close to like nature and having that be so accessible is something I never get tired of. Yeah, for sure. So what kind of stories call to you about the West Shore? One of my favorite articles was speaking to uh, different uh, faith communities on the West Shore when Mm. the pandemic first came down to talk about, you know, how is this impacting you on like the front line? Um, And that I felt was one of the first stories that I felt, oh, wow, I'm like really doing some digging here and I'm I'm really unearthing um, something that's more uh, than a superficial like spider story. <laughs> Tell me about the newsletter. What can people expect? Yeah, so this newsletter is very exciting. Um, we are bringing the things that matter to you most twice a week. Um, this is something that I don't believe any other kind of media news outlet is doing. Um, we're trying to really craft and shape something that you need to have every morning or twice, I guess, in a week to feel informed and feel like you actually know what's going on in not only your backyard, but also, I guess, the next backyard over in the communities. Um, like Langford is is in its own right. So many stories are hiding within here. Mm-hmm. But then we think of Callwood, we think of Machosen, out even to Souk. Like there are so many things out happening in Souk. It's a happening town. Um, I worked there before as well. So um just being more informed and having a place where you can go where you don't have to feel like you're gathering it yourself it's being gathered for you and it's custom just for you yeah i think it's actually a prime time to get this kind of information um on a more regular because the west shore is growing so quickly it wasn't too long ago that i spoke to uh, the souk mayor maya tate about their community plan and how they're looking forward to the future and how rapidly they're growing especially with young families so it's uh yeah it's it's a prime time for this kind of content what what are some of the things that you're excited about for this project? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it, not only with the West Shore, but even with Capital Daily, I really take pride in the fact that we provide this sort of in-depth experience and a long-form uh, look at what not only what is happening, but why it's happening. Mm-hmm. I think a, a big majority of the time, um, most news outlets, they're just rushing to kind of fit that uh, five o'clock newscast or uh, meet their deadline by the end of the day. And luckily we have um, the ability to take that time and really start unearthing um, the issues that matter, 
not only at the very surface of like an announcement or something that's just being introduced into a community, but why it's happening, the history behind it, to help give people a bigger picture of things, to understand, wow, why, how is this impacting me? And what has this been like from, from years ago up until now? Yeah, I think actually mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite parts of Capital Daily. Before, long before I started working here, I was reading Capital Daily uh, every day because it's just so, uh, yeah, you get the why. You get right back to the beginning of the story. I think the, the entire story is right there on the one page and it's, uh, it's incredible. So yeah, I yeah, definitely can agree with that one. We did a crossover episode with another podcast in the area. It's called The Best Coast Political Podcast. Tell me about your role in that. People are going to hear it right after this, but <laughs> tell me about what that was like. Yeah, so it was really great. Um, these two two guys who worked on this political podcast reached out to me and also um, someone from, from UVic. And um, just a comment about why Lankford is the way it is, how it operates, what differentiates it from the rest of the municipalities. Because if you don't know, like Langford obviously is quite a forerunner in the in what seems to be quite a economically strong community, something that's like really rising as a phoenix out of the ashes for these past 30 years. Um, I was able to kind of provide my uh, research that I've done in talking with um, uh, a professor from not only Royal Roads, but also UVic, um, just analyzing Langford Council as a whole. I also made sure to help people understand if they've just arrived here in Langford, what it was like like years ago. We're taking a look back at when it first started. Like, did you know that that Stu, uh, the mayor here, Stu Young, has been here since it, it was first incorporated? This guy is, is has been in office longer than I've been alive. So this is a sort of thing where we have to take a deeper look at. Oh wow, there is this sort of um, this incumbency is 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 unseen i think in in mm -hmm. the municipalities in Vi greater victoria and just taking a closer look at what that means for the future can there be a future uh without Stu young right beside that langford name because they're very closely associated mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of pulling back the veil on a community that is attracting more and more attention uh, as it continues to grow. That's fascinating. I, I'm actually, I'm very excited myself to listen to it. So I hope our listeners are also sharing that excitement. Uh, listeners can also read an article that you wrote about this topic at Capital Daily, right? Yes. Um, so this this podcast that I did with, with Best Put, best coast political podcast was made possible because i also did that digging myself and we've got it all together for you um in a beautiful uh format ready to go on our website as well so i can't wait for you guys to read it aaron thank you so much oh thank you so much too and that's it for me on this episode i'll see you at the end Hi folks, welcome to the podcast today. We're skipping our usual intro music and our usual introduction because we're bringing you a very special podcast today. It's going to be a joint venture between ourselves, Best Coast Political Podcast and Capital Daily. Uh, we're coming to you from the unceded Coast Salish territories today. And we've brought together an expert panel to have a what I think will be a really stimulating conversation about the city of Langford. Yeah, absolutely. We've wanted to talk about this for a long time. There's so much to talk about here, and it's really nice to team up with uh, a couple other experts. Do you want to introduce who we have on the on the panel today, Jeremy? Yeah, I'd like to introduce first uh, Aaron Guillen, who is the who's a reporter for the Capital Daily, assigned to the West Shore. Thanks for joining us and, and for co-hosting this podcast, Aaron. Oh, of course. Glad to be here. And then we also have uh, Malia Acker, who is a professor at UVic, an instructor in geography and in Canadian studies. She also teaches at Camosun College, and she is a journalist as well and writes regularly for Focus Magazine. Welcome to the podcast, Malia. Thanks so much for having me. Matt, do you want to get us started then on the podcast? Yeah, sure. So Langford, it's a municipality just outside the city of Victoria, uh, sometimes known as the West Shore. Uh, and a lot is happening in Langford. It's, a, it's an important city. Uh, it's recently won a number of awards for most livable place in Canada, perhaps was one. Um, but I think a lot of people are ready to take a closer look at what's going on in Langford and, and the unique development process that has happened there and start maybe kind of peeling back the layers and going, uh, you know, what's working and what's not working in Langford. And really, there's been some voices lately saying things aren't working in Langford and the path that has happened for the last 30 years there is not really working out anymore. So 
this is for people who don't know Langford. It's a community that has had basically was a was a rural unincorporated unincorporated area 30 years ago. Tiny little town. I think was known as a dog patch at one point. Uh, it got a mayor who we'll be talking about later, Stu Young, in 1993, and he just hit the gas pedal on growth, and they have grown, I'm sure, faster than any municipality in BC over the last 30 years. Um, so it's at the point now where it's a community in transition. Um, I think there's been a lot happening there. Uh, the politics are diff more unique around than Victoria. There's a, some some problems that I think we're going to explore a little bit uh, on this on this podcast. Are problems around accountability, around relationships between the mayor and, and builders, where people don't feel they have the whole story. Uh, community voices not being heard. A lot of environmental destruction that people are starting to question. So um, I don't want to knock Langford at all. This is just meant to be a little bit of exploration on what's going on out there. Yeah, and I thought maybe a good place to start would be talking to Malia, who's looked at a bit of the development pathway of Langford and, and done some parallels with the Highlands. Malia, where does, where does Langford come from and how did it end up the city that it is today? Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, they have taken very, very different paths, Langford and the Highlands. They were once back in the late 1980s part of the same electoral region so somewhat similar to the Juan de Fuca electoral region which means that they're unincorporated there's a lot less bylaw um, it's uh, it's a bit more kind of free reign and in the late 1980s um, development was starting to happen in the two areas and uh, so there was an incorporation study and um, Bob McMinn, actually the first mayor of the Highlands, assisted with that incorporation study and supported a referendum, which eventually, three years later, um, after the study started, voted 70% for incorporation, but also 80% to incorporate as a separate municipality uh -huh. from Langford. Uh -huh. Um, and that was a really prescient decision when it came to how the Highlands looks as opposed to how Langford looks now. Right. So that was 1992, the year that the, the two areas parted ways. And Stu Young was elected the first mayor and Bob McMinn was the first mayor of the Highlands, and Stu Young of, of Langford, of course. And um, so now the difference you see, Highlands has maintained large tracts of older second growth forest and it's um, increased its protected areas from 6% to 40% parkland. Mm. And whereas Langford has uh, bulldozed or clear cut almost anything it can find. Um, so <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I have some real problems with that. And I think the, um, the protests against environmental destruction in that area have actually been uh, quite strong for the last 15 to 20 years. I think the bulldozer actually might be the mascot of Langford, come think of it. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, especially the area out by uh, by um, Costco, right? It's just constantly being bulldozed. I mean, is there a, is there rare ecosystems? Is, is, the, is there a Gary Oak ecosystem out there that's been affected? I mean, tell us a bit about the ecology. There have been several. Um, it, Langford is is prime territory or was for a couple of really endangered ecosystems in the province, one being the coastal Douglas fir ecosystem and the other being uh, Gary Oak ecosystems. And uh, of coastal Douglas fir, only 0.5% remains intact. And a lot of that is overcome with um, invasive species like um, uh, English ivy. And, and then a lot of the Gary Oak ecosystems, most of the bottom lands are gone, but the higher rocky uh, cliffs with arbutus and Gary Oaks and lots of wildflowers, that's what you used to see on um, Skirt Mountain, which was then renamed as Bear Mountain, which was called Spate Mountain for the, um, the Coast Salish and Quangan and, and Songhees, Esquimalt, Saanich peoples who were here. It was the site of a sacred cave that was bulldozed. Uh -huh. um, and, uh, and then Miniskirt Mountain, which is being bulldozed as we speak right now. So all of those areas really were full of very, very fragile ecosystems and they have just been obliterated. Uh -huh. My understanding is Langford does not have a tree protection bylaw. So Victoria, the tree protection bylaw is very strong. You do not, you're not allowed to cut down Gary Oaks. You're not allowed to cut down trees that are over a certain diameter. And people yeah. take trees very seriously. You'll have entire communities as we see at 902 Fowl Bay right now, rallying around lots with trees. And that's one of those pieces that citizens in Langford just have not been able to hold on to. And we're hearing a lot of that in the discussions we have is people care about this in Langford. They want trees. They want green space. 
but they just have not been able to have their voices heard. And I think people are becoming fed up. But it, are Gary Oaks protected there? Are they protected on the South Island? Or can Langford just do, have a, do anything they want? Well, that's, that's an interesting thing. As far as I know, tree protection bylaws are a municipal affair. And because um, this is partly the fault of the CRD and partly the fault of the Langford municipality itself, but its urban containment boundary is the same size as its municipality. So if you look at the, um, the urban containment boundary document for the CRD, it actually outlines the entire municipality of Langford as part of the urban area. Um, and because of that, it's all up for development. And then because it also doesn't have a tree protection bylaw, as you say, um, there's nothing stopping uh, developers from going in and just taking everything down and creating a, a kind of clean slate, which is what you see. You know, that was what um, Home Depot and Costco and um, all of that area used to look like. It's what Bear Mountain used to look like. It's um, yeah, McCallum Road is the area behind Home Depot now, and it is literally a moonscape. It's, it, they have just cut absolutely everything down. It, the first time I saw it, I, did, I didn't even know what I was looking at. I was absolutely shocked. There is nothing yeah. left up there, and I can I, I can picture what it's going to look like the, the communities that they put up. Um, obviously, the housing piece is great, and I don't want to I don't want to uh, play down how well they've done on housing. But housing needs to have environmental areas. It needs to have areas for wildlife, and uh, I think this is something that they're going to have to address pretty soon because the the people are 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 pretty fed up with this from what we're mm -hmm. hearing. And I want to just take the chance to bring Aaron into this conversation. Uh, we mentioned Bear Mountain, which of course is, has been a big story over the last decade plus in, in Langford. But just taking a step back, I mean, this is your beat. Tell us a bit about this municipality. They've had the same mayor for like 30 years, uh, which is weird. What is the political culture like in the West Shore? Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for asking that question. It's, it's important to answer. Um, in my search to kind of better understand Langford Council, as I um, have been on this beat, I reached out to Dr. David Black, and he's from Royal Roads, and he is uh, an associate professor in the School of Communication and Culture there. Um, he kind of helped me take a better look and understand um, how Langford Council operates and how they kind of differ in, in terms of other councils that also operate throughout the greater Victoria region. Um, he, he pointed out that um, across Canada, there is a sort of different mayor system uh, compared to the US and mm -hmm. the Canadian, it's sort of a, he calls it a weak mayor system uh, versus in the States, it's a strong mayor system. And that doesn't okay. mean that there is, you know, um, uh, the mayor is like weak himself, but, or herself, um, but based on the powers that they have on their own, they are quite limited. They really need to get a lot of uh, support from the councillors to really get much action going throughout the city, throughout council. Um, taking a look on the US side, it operates more as a CEO-like um, uh, title. Um, they, in some cases, have the ability to hire and fire at their will. Um, they sit outside of council, so they're not as, you know, uh, rubbing shoulders perhaps at times mm -hmm. um and taking a look at at Stu, he's been in here for uh, i want to say it's 28 ish years um it's it's been it's been a long time since incumbent uh incorporation first began um right in right the early going 90s. back to 93 92 93 yeah exactly so there is a sort of um uh, common denominator over the years you know uh he was mayor before i was born and now he is still mayor <laughs> yeah and and it really raises some important questions about whether or not langford and and probably some other local municipalities around here have what we might call a democracy deficit uh i mean it's it's how healthy is it for a democracy to have the same person in charge for three decades I mean, regardless of whether or not you agree with Stu Young's politics or with anyone else's politics, there really is something to be said about having turnover and having different points of view reflected in government and um, allowing others to have the opportunity to bring their vision into, into the public sector. And in Langford, uh, what we see is essentially one perspective that's dominated public governance now for, for, multiple, for, for multiple decades. And uh, I think it also raises questions about whether or not there should be term limits uh, for mayors and councils in BC. It's something that's, that gets brought up pretty regularly. 
and uh, there's never really been any major action on it. So a council person, a mayor can be in power for multiple decades. And I think it raises some important questions about whether or not we should be capping the, uh, the capping terms to, you know, maybe two or three terms in power so that you don't have essentially a, a, a political class or an individual that comes to dominate the, the, the municipality for such a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, the question now is, is can you even differentiate between the identity of Stu Young and the, identi- the identity of Langford as a municipality? So, Aaron, the question for you is, can you actually separate mm-hmm. the mayor from the municipality? And is this is this healthy in a democracy? Um, that that's a great question. Um, he definitely, I believe, is 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 the face of Langford. You can't really separate, in my eyes, uh, Langford without Stu. Um, they are very much uh, uh, hand, come hand in hand. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a right. very interesting reputation because we don't see that a lot with uh, other municipalities like Souk or Victoria, because you know we have ever-changing mayors. Um, even out in Colwood, uh, Rob just came in, you know, a little while back, a couple years back, um, and it kind of presents this sort of uh, a, a norm that what would happen if you know what is Langford without Stu? Um, what will Langford be without Stu um, when he, you know, one day uh, decides not to run for re-election? And that's a big question that I think we still have yet to answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people are also, and I'm not going to really knock Stu Young. I think he's done a, a good job on a number of factors. He has a lot of heart in Langford. He seems like a likable guy, but I think as a citizen and a voter in a democracy, you have to question if having the same person for that long is actually paying a valuable service um, to the citizens. And I think you also, people are starting to question of where the ties of Stu Young go. Like he has, he was born in Langford. He's been there forever. He knows everybody. And the ties between council and developers are, are, is a very murky area. And I think that is what a lot of people are, have always picked up on, but are picking up on now. Um, you know, so is is that kind of cabal of, of counselors who have been there since a lot of counselors have been there since the early 90s as well, very close connections, but there's these new residents pouring in going, our society works by switching governments, by governments competing to offer the best service to provide, you know, competing visions. And one thing that was disappointing in Langford is their voter turnout has been between 14 and 18%, which is about the lowest in the province. So, wow. wow. I question why that voter turnout is so low. And I, I think it may have something to do with the fact that he's running things more like a kingdom than he is like a democracy. And people yes. don't feel like they have a voice and haven't for a very long time. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's, I think you're exactly right. Low turnout can reflect people who just feel hopeless. Yeah. They say, why even bother? And I think there's a lot of people going like, why bother come to a community meeting when they're not going to listen? Why bother trying to protect that stand of trees when we know it's going to get bulldozed? And in our, my research, we read so many stories of people going, hey, we went to a council meeting, we raised these concerns, and they did not care for a second what they said. And you know that we're busy, we're all working, we have families that, that beats down on you after a while. And I think, you know, it's, it's the tide is starting to turn though, where people are going, it's enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Like other municipalities, governments have accountability. And of course there's been a lot of accountability issues um, been in the news lately around Langford as well, which we should get perhaps we it. could talk about. Yeah. Um, but, quickly, yeah. I just also wanted to add to Malia's comment about, you know, the lower voter turnout. Um, I, I reached out to, uh, Colby Hedden. Now she is a resident here in Langford, born and raised, 24 years old. Um, she didn't vote in the 2018 municipal election because she didn't feel like there was um, anyone to kind of put her name behind. And she felt as though, you know, what kind of change can be done when you've got a mayor that's been here for 20 plus years? Um, is there any hope? And it finds that there was a lot of apathy like amongst just other other residents as well. Um, and and it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that had to to happen. But now um, she's saying in 2022, she definitely wants to um, find uh, potentially someone else to put the, her, her, her name behind, or just kind of start really pushing council for some answers to keep them accountable. Um, she is actually a part of a greater group. I don't know if we want to get into this now. Um, Please. Sure. 
Yeah, uh, please, but yeah. uh, Matt, kind of, you, you discovered this this Facebook group just a little while back. They just popped up in in early March, as according to to her at least. Um, the group is called Langford Voters for Change, and um, they are a group of more than 600 uh, residents in the Langford area and growing quickly. Um, of residents who who Hedden describes as a sort of municipal watchdog of sorts, nothing mm -hmm. that is quite, I guess, aggressive as we've seen with maybe like the grumpy taxpayers of Victoria, mm -hmm. but some, yeah. a group that really wants to see uh, sustainable development in, in Langford. They understand that this isn't something where we're going to stop <laughs> buildings from ever being put up ever, um, because it's all part of, you know, a city sort of, and, it, and its growth and its potential story but uh, they feel like it's being done too quickly and without enough uh, care to hear the voices of the residents in those areas. Mm -hmm. um, and this group is comprised of um, multiple uh, different neighborhoods kind of showing their support. Um, I, for the listeners, I mean, uh, there was one called Fairway Neighbors Unite. Uh, there was a, a big kind of high rise, let's say in, in Langford, uh, nine, nine stories high and um, a lot of the neighbors were were all understandably upset where most of the area is usually like three to four stories right. um, so they're putting their name behind this um, another one is uh, the citizens of South Langford for sustainable development that was um, another area in in Langford where there was a lot of development coming up and people were mad and and understandably upset for sort of the, the quick paceness of it all um, there are multiple groups kind of coming together. So it sounds like some people are starting to get organized there. Is this is this a new trend? Because I thought in the last, I don't pay that close of attention to Linkford, but I thought in the last election, there was a sort of opposition slate that ran, but didn't do very well. Is that right? In in 2014, um, they ran. So about two, two election okay. uh, seasons ago, there was a slate actually. And they ran um, under the heading Langford for, for change, I believe. Just let me pull it up really quick. Um, yeah, I think you have it right. That, that time they had yeah, two time for change, right? And, and they, they didn't do so well, right? They didn't do so well. Um, they were under the name like neighbors for neighbors of Langford. Their kind of main argument was that um, Stu had a conflict of interest for the company that he has been a, a part of for a while, uh, Alpine Group, uh, being the only garden waste facility in town. Yeah, tell tell us that story. Oh, it is. Ooh, it's it's a it's a big story. I want to like paint this in broad strokes so I don't get anything okay. <laughs> anything wrong. Um, I was doing a lot of research diving into the Alpine Group and just seeing how this whole thing really started because it's it, it is well known throughout most of the South Island um, as a waste facility. You throw your garbage. We even have it outside my house. We may roommates. We throw our garbage. Alpine picks it up. Um, so Stu, this is a little bit of a backstory, I realized. Stu, before 1992, was born in Langford. He managed a Dairy Queen. He was a young hustler. This was an unincorporated region. He had a pickup truck and said, hey, I'm going to start picking up garbage to, uh, to start running a business. And, you know, he, start, he had his hands in a couple different things. But I could imagine a young Stu driving around, picking up garbage, doing well. And that one truck turned into two trucks, turned into three trucks, and turned into, next thing you know, he was doing it for the entire region. And that was the beginning of Alpine Group. And I think it's kind of an admirable, admirable little story um, that maybe grew into something where there was some connections between his role as mayor and his role as a business owner providing municipal services. So to, that, to get this straight, was his company on contract with the city that he was mayor of? I believe citizens hire their garbage privately. So you as a citizen would call and you, and you would hire Alpine to come but of course they're already coming down the street so they say yeah we're coming Tuesday but it's a private they don't have a municipal a large municipal staff so a lot of that stuff is privately contracted out so Stu has always said and it, it, I mean it's a bit rude it's just he said well if you don't like it get call someone else to get your garbage mm -hmm. but it's a perceived uh, and, conflict of interest yeah and then there's and the ties again the, the business ties the ties between him as mayor to to developers to people in this in the neighborhood and you know it, it, it best practice is to separate yourself in those kind of situations and go, hey, would a municipally run public waste, uh, public works 
serve the city better and did he did he truly contemplate that right. as other cities right. have done where you have you know good wage workers work for the city they have unions they have benefits mm-hmm. or did he say hey my 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 company's doing pretty well here we're going to keep this up mm-hmm. this facade up and i don't have the answer to that but i think that that question really needed to be asked a long time ago and that's not the only perceived conflict of interest that he's had over the years um there have also been questions about his involvement in bear mountain and rezoning of those lands that were handed over from um, from the BC government to Western Forest Products and then switched or flipped very quickly to uh, a Bear Mountain Resort developer and mm. um, rezoned very quickly by the mayor so that they could be developed. Um, those were previously classified as forest lands, reserve lands. They should have been part of the green blue belt and um, they're full of endangered ecosystems and sensitive areas and um, culturally significant spots for First Nations. And he had a lot of involvement and has had a lot of involvement in the development that's gone on. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably know the name Len Berry, former NHL player who got wrapped up as a developer in Bear Mountain uh, swindled a bunch of his uh, fellow investors, was on trial, somehow avoided jail time. Uh, you know, if you, if you, you know, this takes us back a few years, but does anyone want to unpack a little bit Bear Mountain? We don't need to go into the blow by blow, but just <clears throat> what, what does it indicate about the problems of this jurisdiction? Hmm. Um, well, I'll, I'll take the, another uh, hand of the broad strokes again for this story. Um, <laughs> so yeah, as you were saying, uh, former NHL player Len Berry kind of got his buddies together and said, you know, let, let's invest in this uh, Bear Mountain because, you know, Langford's growing. There needs to be a place to house people. Why not start it at Bear Mountain? They were going for this sort of uh, Whistler-esque um, getaway sort of resort retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people know today they've got a lot of golf courses up there. Um, they've got like a spa hotel, um, and then residential areas surrounding. Um, uh, the, the story kind of continues with him, uh, with the development, uh, even alluding to what, uh, Malia was saying, um, how there was the quick switch of hands, uh, when it came to the land. Um, a lot of, um, I don't know how to just say it without just um, a lot of disagreement, honestly, um, when it came to First Nations uh, support on, you know, the uh, uh, native, special native uh, lands and and caves and special sites. Culturally, culturally significant areas. Culturally, thank you. And there, I wanted to also add to that, just Aaron, something that very little community input in, in Bear Mountain. One fact I looked up was that they had a land use planning meeting for Bear Mountain. I guess how many people turned up to the land use meeting for for this the three thousand home land use planning? Zero people yeah. showed up to that meeting, and and you know here we are having in Victoria huge meetings for any you want to put up a garden shed. People want to talk about the design, and I'm not saying that's great, but something like Bear Mountain, when you drive up there, a lot of times I think, and I was actually there today. I was mountain biking there today. I wish there would have been more community input in there because I think it would have had a better community feel and it could have had so much potential as a great a neighborhood, but it looks like a place where a developer drew it up and said, this is going to be the best, fastest, cheapest way to make the most money. And this is what we're going to do. And the fact that zero people showed up to that meeting, I can't even fathom. And why fathom is that? that. Because it wasn't, huge, it wasn't, it wasn't publicized loss. or. Well, I don't, I don't want to stop. Yes, I, I will talk about this later, some challenges with their, with their um, approach and accountability. But yeah, probably not publicized. People are too busy. Um, they have a bad history of posting notices the day of the event. Malia, jump, not jump in here. Them. Jump in here, Malia. Well, there was actually a lot of publicity back in the day. Um, in around 2006, um, Cheryl Bryce, who was the Songhees land, uh, land manager until just recently, um, she was one of the primary protesters um, up there because there was a sacred karst cave in at the top of the mountain, which is a very unusual thing to have a, a water pool up at the top of a mountain. It's somewhat similar to Mount Helmikin, which also got bulldozed. Um, but um, <laughs> so she was protesting against it. And Len Berry at that time said that famous quote that, um, you know, I don't know if there's a cave up there, but if there is, we're going to blast it and fill it in and build a hotel on top of it because I bought the property. So, you know, just essentially totally disrespectful stuff. I think this really laid the groundwork for a lot of the First Nations, um, uh, you know, um, 
uh, attempts to, to reclaim land and to reclaim some sense of respect um, in terms of how land is dealt with. Things like um, uh, the island just outside of Ganges that um, uh, right. was recently saved by the BC government, Grace Islet. But back then, uh -huh. back in 2006, this was not as, as big a thing. So 2006, she actually gets served with a, a $1 million slap suit in an effort to silence her. Wow. And um, in an effort to, to stop any or quell any kind of um, dissent against this development. And wow. um, there were people doing tree sits because a big part of this was also that um, the BC government was convinced into providing 5 million of taxpayers money in order to build the interchange at um, right. the uh, kind of where Bear Mountain Parkway would meet up with, um, I forget what the interchange is called, but- the Lay Road. Um, yeah, that's right. And, um, and so, you know, this was this was a lot of different players all working together. You know, there's there's Len Berry, there's the mayor, there's the BC um, Ministry of Transportation, there's the you know forest land resources section. It's it's very, and I don't think the bottom we've ever ever reached the bottom of what actually happened there. But um, it was it, it was a really um, it was a huge, uh, a huge thing. And I think there was a lot of protest, but there was a lot of money behind trying to pe keep people quiet. And that's, I think, what ended up happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, to go on there, so they invested, we don't know, 300 to $500 million in this resort. Len Berry, uh, 2008 hit, the financial crisis crit, and the whole thing hit the brakes. And of course, they went bankrupt uh, into creditor protection to HSBC, took over, um, and, and tried to sell it. And at that point, they could, they had a really hard time selling it. They valued Bear Mountain somewhere but between 15 and 35 million for the whole thing. Um, and so the whole resort was sold to a company from Vancouver called Ecoasis. Uh, we don't know how much it was sold for, but they bought everything probably for, for a very good deal. Uh, again, possibly a loss to the, the, to the residents of, of Langford and the region who really should have got more of a benefit from this whole region. So the whole mountain got sold to a developer for perhaps, let's say, 20 million. There's a house that goes for 20 million in Oak Bay now. Right. Um, and, and in the meantime, Ecoasis is still there and they are developing it like crazy. I don't know how well they're doing or not, but there's a lot of action up there mm -hmm. today anyway. It's, it's developing over the backside now down to the highway uh, with some monster homes, big, big homes. And I can only imagine if they keep going, there's not going to be not going to be much nature left up there. And Malia, I wanted to just ask you maybe an unfair question, but like why, I mean, I see Lankford as like a type. It's a type of city. And I was saying that, you know, I grew up in Seattle. Seattle has its own Lankford and Edmonton has a Lankford and Calgary has a Lankford. It's these sort of neoliberal suburbs where they bulldoze everything. It's sprawl, it's car culture, it's box stores, it's Costco and it's, and it's Home Depot and it's, and they all kind of look alike. And and uh, why is this? Why does every city seem to have a Langford where there's very little red tape? There's no regulation. You can just bulldoze, do whatever you want. But, but you've, you've already just hit the nail on the head by saying neoliberalism, right? I mean, you've got a, ver a bunch of very greedy people who have decided that they want to make a quick buck off of knocking down a, a bunch of really pristine forests and putting uh, multi-million dollar resorts and, and houses on it. Um, but I think the saddest thing is, is that, you know, we've got um, the last 40 years of urban planning that tells us to do exactly the opposite and tells right. us how to do a city well, which Langford has not done. And, you know, when you put a nine story apartment building right next to a single family home, that, that doesn't work, that's not good urban planning. Um, and so they had the opportunity with a kind of clean slate to develop this really beautiful place that could, you know, work in tandem with the natural beauty that was already there and they completely failed at it. And mm. so, um, yeah, that's, that's the thing that really, that really bothers me, but why I, I'm, yeah. I agreed, I think. <laughs> yeah, lack of, I think lack of long-term planning when this movement that's happening, Langford voted for change, they, they really are rallying around a couple of things. And one is a lack of long-term vision, lack of long-term planning, and, and then a rushed process and, and no accountability. But that lack of long-term vision, when I lived there, I lived on Goldstream Avenue, which I would call the downtown, right. but 
I think Langford's missing that. They don't have a downtown. Millstream Village is a is a is is these box, you know, Home Depot on your main street. Right. Backed up traffic. There's no community there. <laughs> Goldstream maybe has a little bit, but they could have really done so much more. You know, to give them credit, there's a fountain, there's a couple of things there, but it's not a place where with your family you can go downtown Victoria and you could spend the day downtown Victoria. It's just beautiful. There's 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 stuff down there. Langford, you don't do that. And even, you know, the people there saying we still have maybe go to restaurants in town or, uh, and, and that, that leads to a lack of community. And we heard that over and over again, like, sure. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot, there's a lot of great people who have their own little communities, but lack of overall communities. Yeah. And we heard a symptom of that is, for example, some people said garbage, people just don't care garbage in, in the ditches, garbage in the alleys. Like they don't feel like their neighbors care about the place. And, uh, you know, that that's the kind of thing you need that to have a really vibrant and robust community. And I, and I think I want that for Lang- Langford. We all do. Uh, the people want it. And that's why it's good to talk about well, it. Well, also uh, transportation, right? I mean, it's a totally car dependent place. Um, it's a high carbon footprint. Maybe someday the ENN train line will be back up and running. But as of now, it's not. If you if you work in Victoria and live in Langford, I mean, there is some bus service. There's limited bus service, but it's a pretty car dependent place. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a big concern. I think, yeah, that was a big concern. Lack of transit is a huge issue and, and high transportation costs. So even though they say, hey, this is a place for families, well, families in Victoria, a lot of them don't have cars anymore or they have one car. Right. But when you have to have the two cars and you're paying insurance, you're paying the gas, you have to question, you know, is it as, is, is the affordability factor there? Um, but maybe the people want, sorry, sorry, Malia, but maybe the people want that in Lankford, right? Maybe they want car culture and, box stores and they don't want to show up to council meetings and they don't give a shit. No, I think they want affordability. I think they moved out there because it was cheaper and they thought it would be easier. But I mean, Charles, Charles Montgomery has been writing about this for the past 20 years in Happy City, his book, um, where he talks about, you know, people who are living out in the suburbs actually end up paying more than those who are living in the city center and paying higher prices for homes because they spend mm-hmm. so much on transportation and on driving everywhere, right? And mm-hmm. so it's, it, it doesn't work out. <laughs> It, it, it backfires. Yeah. It does. It, it completely backfires. Aaron? Yeah, it's it's tough because I, I understand where Matt's coming from, this sort of sense of community that doesn't seem like, it seems like something is missing. There's, there, you've got potentially all the, the pieces that could make it work, but it seems like it's just like the yeah. jobs, the housing, the recreation, there needs to be a sort of elevated uh, quality of life that makes people want to stay in the West Shore and f- have it be their home, not just a base that they kind of commute to and from. Um, and Dr. David Black was telling me that he found that it seems as though Langford is very much at this sort of crossroads. Where will they decide to go in the future? Um, will they kind of still continue pushing with this uh, pro-growth development? Or will they really invest in those different aspects of what a, a home is, of what a, a city that they'll, they'll be proud to call home? Um, and he added that uh, the Maritime Center, which was announced uh, just, I believe, last year, the quite recent, I don't know, time is time is blending, honestly, in this pandemic, mm-hmm. but a while ago, uh, the Maritime Center, uh, kind of also near the Costco in that Millstream area, um, provides potentially um, an investment in the arts and somewhere where, you know, uh, families can say, hey, like, let's go check out there. And like, it's, it's something where it's not just only, oh, there's like a soccer field and there's uh, a Costco. And um, it, it adds another dimension to it potentially, but it's just the beginning of this set, this sort of fork in the road. Mm. And it's and it, you're totally right. It's a, it's in a transition. But the Maritime Museum is an interesting example of you know I'm going where where are they going to plop it down like by Costco like that that's that's crazy, because I think what you want to have the the Maritime Museum used to be in Bastion Square. Right. You could go down there. You go to Bastion Square. You go to the Boardwalk. It's all walkable. But here we have the Wanda Fuca Rec Center where there's some games out there. Then you have like Play Zone in the bowling alley, which you'd have to drive 10 minutes that way. And you have, I guess, the Maritime Museum is going to be up by Costco. Like that's not how families operate driving across town like this. They want to go to a, the centralized area, and I don't know why that sort of planning wasn't done and they've done a really nice job with the bowling alley and play zone kind of down there but it's all by the big box stores i'm sure by the uh, by the furniture stores down where the capital iron is i'm not sure what that's called and again you'd have to drive there you can't let your kids really roam because there's a high basically a highway kind of right beside you mm-hmm. and 
I don't know how, I think that might've just got away from them. Like they were, they were just flying fast and loose um, from 1993 on and perhaps, you know, forgot to step back. Well, either forgot to listen or forgot to step back and go, where's it, where's this going to go in 30 years? Because 30 years will happen. Matt, Matt, I find it super interesting that when you reference Langford, the the things that you use as reference points are big box stores. They're not the Inner Harbor. They're not the parks. They're not the nice streets. They're not the walkability of the, the, you know, um, some sort of seawall. It's all about commercial enterprises that are usually big box stores. And that's, Uh that seems to me really indicative of what they've chosen to value as opposed to you know, somewhere like Victoria, where the the natural beauty, which was also in Langford until recently, <laughs> um, could have been the, the draw, and the, you, you know, you could been you could have been referencing instead the um, the green space that you walk along in order to get to uh, you know small stores or to mm-hmm. or the the forests that are still intact. <laughs> well, let's let's scope into this conversation a bit about their city council and their consultation process. I mean, I was thinking of a, an article that was written by the grumpy taxpayers back in December in the Times Colonist, where they slammed Langford for not having, uh, for not recording, not video recording their meetings, their city council meetings during the pandemic, and for discussing quite a lot of issues, including ironically transparency in in camera meetings, and for those who don't know, in-camera means private meetings, like not not public ones that the public doesn't have access to. So they're actually discussing transparency in-camera. There's been a lot of criticisms that it's hard to access council meetings. It's hard to get a hold of their minutes. It's um, They're not particularly open to input and consultation. Aaron, what's the perceived trouble with, uh, with Langford City Council? Mm-hmm. So when the pandemic first came down, um, yeah, the, the council meetings essentially had hit a quick wall, um, an abrupt stop. Um, and when they started coming back, though, um, the only way to access the council um, meetings was through a teleconference. There was no live stream. Um, you just had to dial in and just uh, wait on the line and um, hopefully get called on by pressing <laughs> star nine. Um, and if you weren't, then that's, you know, too bad, unfortunate. Um, and it has been like that for a decently long amount of time um, until the grumpy taxpayers raised it up, um, I believe somewhere in uh, during the holidays, late December, right, yeah, early January, yeah. um, really pushing for that transparency because, you know, they, they, they presented a pretty good argument. Um, this is something that the residents should have easy access to because even after the teleconference happened, the council meeting, they never posted the audio track. Um, so you couldn't right, hear right. what happened after the fact. If you missed right, yeah. a question being asked five seconds ago, goodbye. You 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 haven't heard crazy. it. Crazy. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> so they, uh, I I had you know when I was working with the Goldstein Gazette, I was. Um, trying to get a hold of just any sort of sense of what had happened in the meetings and they stayed quite tight-lipped during that time um, which was very very frustrating on my behalf Um, and then finally I think they just uh, started live streaming on what was it I want to say March 15 that was their latest council meeting the first one uh, that they finally implemented live streaming after the many uh, calls to action. Um, I think the only other municipality, um, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's just Machosen um, or in Highlands, Machosen and Highlands. Um, the rest all do a sense of live streaming and post what's happening in council. Um, yeah, and for City of Victoria, just so listeners know, when you can go and click on an item and it'll link you to that time in the video, so you can find it. All the agendas are there, everything is online, so it's very accountable. And I think people have to ask this about Stu. If he's so great for Langford, like what's he, what's he hiding here and why not be transparent about this process? And there's a number of other examples around lack of transparency we'd like to talk about, but I think this is a, a major, major black eye on his reputation of not setting this up like really 10 years too late, 20 years too late. This should have happened a long time ago. Uh, I'm sure people have been asking for it and it probably plays into that theme we kept hearing of people saying they don't care. They don't care. Um, you know, mm-hmm. So that's the thing it, just another mm-hmm. example is like you know potentially you know there there could be uh, i mean it's a stretch but nothing wrong <laughs> with what's going on in, in council but just the way that it's going about it does you know lead to people believing having this perceived notion of what actually is going on why is it so closed door if if the doors were open would there be any difference um and i, th- I think there would be because it has that perceived notion of we're open 
for your your eyes. We're we're ready to kind of be scrutinized if we have to. Um, and and just one more thing I wanted to add was the financial disclosure documents. That was also an important uh, piece of the grumpy taxpayers argument. Um, okay. In in most uh, councils, every single year, uh, the councillors and the mayor uh, release their financial disclosure documents, saying they're right, assets. like conflict of interest forms. You mean like, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and most of the municipalities in Greater Victoria Region have released them and made them even available, including Saanich and Victoria councils, on their website. It's very, very easy to access. I just type right. in financial uh, disclosure documents, Google find it in like two seconds. Um, mm -hmm. Tried to do the same thing with Langford even just last week and you can't find it. I reached mm -hmm. out to them and I said, hey, um, why can't it, I find it online? They're like, well, it's you know, uh, something you have to come in in person and see for yourself. So I went there myself and um, I, <laughs> I booked an appointment with them at like you know 9 a.m. in the morning. Um, it was the only time that worked for them. So I said, okay, let's just do it came in for like 10 minutes, um, wasn't allowed to take any pictures, only had to bring a notebook and pen and just wrote down, copied um, what was on their pieces of paper while um, wow. someone was watching me. Um, <laughs> just trying to make like awkward <laughs> conversation, like, hey, the, the weather's really nice today, right? Just like white writing all the assets. So do you remember anything? I mean, particularly <laughs> Stu, because I, I read somewhere, you know, he has a place in Mexico and a place in Vegas and, a, you know, like you never know with him. I've heard those things. Uh, did you find anything interesting? Uh, honestly, nothing really stood out too much. Um, I, I have heard about like the Vegas uh, place and the one in Mexico too, but uh, they weren't on his uh, record of... Uh, uh, pieces of property that he owns interesting yeah. sounds like yeah, a democracy another... deficit out in Lankford there if it's so hard to find basic transparent another issue of accountability that's a big difference from from my work in victoria is agendas so they post agendas on friday afternoon for council meetings on monday which is very rare at three o'clock on they post three o'clock on friday city hall is closed all weekend council happens victoria posts a week early there every time there's an update they send it out it's all linked together you can see all the documents that council will be seeing uh, so lots of examples of poor minute taking poor documentation residents can't find documentation uh, and, the, and the big one is uh, development notices, people getting development notices the day of the hearing, the day after the hearing, a day before the hearing, like in Victoria, you know, that, that's the kind of thing you would get a month early, three weeks early. Right. Here's where the community meeting is. Um, something I, f I realize, um, I do a lot of work in, in Victoria community associations and on community associations land use planning. So in Victoria, we have 11 community associations. Every single one has a CALIC, which is a land use right. planning. All developments have to come through and the CALIC facilitates a community meeting and the CALIC is a non-partial bo community body that takes residents' concerns and writes it into a report and submits it to the council. And council generally listens to the CALIC because council says, I don't want to listen to the developer because of course the developer is going to want to build the biggest building they can ever build. That's what developers do. So what council uses as a shield, the CALIC to go, hey, here's what community says. They don't want it that big or they don't want the you pushed out to the pro property, uh, property lines. And I was shocked to find out that Langford does not have community associations and they don't have um, community association land use planning. And I was, so there's no, there's really no mechanism to provide feedback wow. on a development. There's and no and I was speaking to some- wow. I was speaking to some residents in Langford about CALICs and they were like, well, wh what's a CALIC? Like, well, and why don't we have one of those? And they were they were also shocked that a city has been developing and is still at this pace without any sort of formal recognition. I, I believe CALIC is in the city bylaw, so it, it is a required process in Victoria. So I think something that would be really neat for the residents of Langford, and we've already started this conversation, is to maybe look at forming a couple community associations or at least um, a community association and to get that into the bylaws and shocking then, they don't have there's a mechanism there so yeah it's it's huge in maybe that explains why there no one was showing up to their land use meetings around bear mountain because there's actually not really a venue an established culture of consultation and a feedback on on development so people don't even it's not even on their radar it's just not part of the culture yeah. and and also back then i mean langford was such a small uh kind of rural municipality right when it first started out in those first 10-15 years that there wasn't I don't think there was even really understanding of how much could change and what could happen up there um, no and now now that now that there is it's it's almost too late it's almost too late yeah 
but it's not too late to start having conversations of informed no. debate and input sure. on land use. Yeah. Um, you, you, know, you might maybe avoid something like Danbrook one. Aaron, you want to talk, what is Danbrook one? Oh my goodness, don't get me started. I will take up your entire night. Um, uh, okay, broad strokes once again. So Danbrook one, uh, the classic tale, um, it is, it, it currently still is, I believe, uh, the tallest building in Langford. Um, they might be constructing another tall building, but, um, oh no, they are. There is one, it's like a timber, uh, mass timber building. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I'm not sure where it is, regardless. Um, Danbrook one, I believe it had just under like 90 um, residents within the building. Um, and it was just opened in early spring of 2019, um, kind of being marketed as like, oh, come here, it's right by Goldstream Avenue, the perfect place to live, um, nice and, and modern, um, a lot of concrete, um, it's great. So uh, everyone moved in um, and then, in the fall, um, right into Christmas time of 2019, news broke that, um, as everyone knows, Danbrook One was not structurally safe. Um, and it sent a sort of quick um, flurry of panic, I would say, amongst residents. Everyone had to leave really relatively quickly, also during Christmas, which was super unfortunate for them. Um, and uh, during this time, uh, Langford actually really stepped up. Um, it, was, it was strange the way it worked. Um, Stu uh, was able to quickly mobilize a group of a lot of big developers in the West Shore to kind of donate their money and resources. And they were able to cover not only the moving costs for all the residents, but also rent differential uh, for up to three months, I believe. And also uh, accommodations to stay at any hotel that they wanted for one to two weeks. Um, so after that, uh, Stu actually, in my opinion, came out a, um, a victor because uh, everyone that I talked to from the residents really, really loved the action that uh, Stu took in that instance. Um, so he got to play the hero there? <laughs> I think, I definitely think he did um, <laughs> in somewhat of a really unfortunate circumstance. I don't know how he did it, but he did. And um, right now the building still stays empty. Um, I tried connecting with a couple residents uh, about a month or so ago. They are all paying more than they were at Stanbrook. Um, one of them said uh, they would move back if, even if the place was fixed, but as long as um, they would get the rent that they were uh, so, paying so who's, initially. Who signed off on this building and was the city of Langford implicated at all? Or was it just, did this just boil down to the engineers making a mistake? Like how does this happen in, in, the, you know, in the 21st century, in a, in a modern mm. country, how do you have a structurally unsound building being built? Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of moving pieces right now. I tried getting that answer in the sense of who is actually quite responsible for this. Um, a, a key piece is under lock and key right now um, in a sort of investigation amongst the engineers and geoscientists of BC. Okay. Um, there is someone that is responsible. They have yet to release a name as they are investigating the faults and what exactly went wrong in the signing off of documents. Mm -hmm. um, but that was something that, that was done quite independently of, uh, of Langford. Now Langford does, I'm, I'm sure have um, uh, city officials when it comes to like building, building officials. But um, from, from what I've been seeing, um, they, they probably don't have that you know, exact expertise um, when it comes to like constructing a building, mm -hmm. um, understandably, mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't have these sort of very specific structural engineers just to sign off on on a paper. So the responsibility at the end of the day, I, I believe does lie with that engineer who isn't associated with Langford, mm -hmm. um, but it does, you know, cast a negative light uh, of Langford right. and of um, rapid growth. Yeah, not covering all no your matter, bases. Yeah, yeah, no matter what, whether it is Langford's fault, which I don't believe it is, but it does cast them already in a right. negative light, which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. I think I think maybe to kind of transition this, I think uh, Malia talked about it earlier. Langford is entering a new phase. We saw this thirty years of growth phase, and I think everyone understands as Stu Young, whether it be retires or kind of moves out of the picture, 
this is where the hard work is going to happen for Langford, where they're going to need to stop. And Victoria is hard work. We're all involved in, in local community building and politics. And community building is difficult. You have to listen to a lot of voices. You have to negotiate. Sometimes you don't get what you want. It's slow. And as a result, uh, you know, these older cities like Victoria kind of ha have so much vibrancy and richness because we all care so much. We pour our hearts into our communities. And I think Langford is entering this transitional phase where what's worked in the past isn't going to work in the future. And I, I really hope that there, this momentum that we're seeing online is going to pick up and that residents will realize, hey, having one person run the show is not how you build a vibrant community. And you know what? We could see some really cool politicians there. There's a lot of young families, a lot of progressive families. People are moving there. People from Victoria are moving there. Um, so I, I would not be surprised to see some major change happening in Langford, possibly in the next election in 2022, uh, if Stu Young doesn't run, which I believe he might not run again. He said that in another podcast. And, you know, you could have a, a young new mayor um, generational shift and we could see a new Langford beginning to emerge, but it's going to be difficult for them. They're going to have to start reckoning with some of the problems of the past, the poor development, the lack of community consultation, the lack of community, the, the major transport problems. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting to watch what happens to this community over the next 30 years. And ultimately, I'm, ho I'm hopeful. I want a Lang Langford and Victoria are, are, are sister cities. You know, people here move there, people there move here. What's what's best for Victoria is a really strong Langford. Uh, so I really hope residents there can can kind of use this momentum to build something cool. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Future. And it sounds like they need some change on council. It's it's pretty stagnant and with really low voter turnout and a pretty apathetic electorate, it's gonna be hard to make change. And so whoever steps up in Langford is gonna have to be very organized and actually convince the people out there they need to tune in and that they should have more of a voice on things like land use. A city doesn't just belong to an elite that it gets reified and, and holds on to power for decades. The, the, the power in society belongs to the people. And the, it sounds like the people need to assert themselves or reassert themselves in Langford is how I'd frame it. And I, and I also think a key part of this is that um, we need to get out of this commuting culture, right? Because we've still got the, um, the, the provincial government and a lot of the municipal or a lot of the, the CRD government based in Victoria proper. So people mm -hmm. are having to do that commute in. When you start to see um, places like the Maritime Center relocating to there, the RBC, the Royal BC Museum is now opening an archives out in Colwood area. I want to see more of the commercial and the government um, offices start to open out in that area so that we don't have to have that commute mm -hmm. and we can stop um, creating a freeway essentially between these two cities and what is essentially one large, what the CRD is planned to be one large urban area. And the one, you know, the first planners rule is don't put a freeway in your city. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the whole idea of putting in the Mackenzie interchange in order to speed up that traffic between essentially two urban areas that are connected is ridiculous. It should never have happened essentially. Instead, what we should be doing is creating cohesive and totally formed cities in both areas so that people don't have to go in between you know, you know the idea of the 15 minute city that Paris is putting forward in a lot of European cities um, you know the Madrid uh, river that has decommissioned its freeway in order to provide park space and and walkable space right like this has been happening for decades and, and yet we're still building on the the kind of North American um, paradigm of lots of freeways get people Sprawl. moving really quickly and yeah, sprawl. And so, yeah. so why not put the offices out there? <laughs> Great point. You said it earlier, you said we know better. And I think, you know, that maybe Langford didn't know in 1993 till now, but we do know better. We're a globally connected uh, community. We're looking at best practices from all around the world. And the best practices are clear. The 15 minute city, the walkable city, vibrant downtowns, cities for kids and families with safe streets and quiet streets. So you can't keep going from this point on and go, you know, for another 20 years going, we, oh, we didn't know because we do, and, and, and the voters there know and the citizens know. So um, yeah, there's no no excuse anymore. Aaron, looking to close this out, what does the future hold for Langford? Ooh, um, that is a really great question because I'm not a fortune teller, but um, kind of just thinking of all, all the pieces. Um, yeah, I would just reiterate 
they're, they're really at a fork and it's going to be a big decision in the coming years in, in the 2022 election and within the next, I would say five to 10 years on a make or break sort of track, you know, going down, hopefully a, a more sustainable road, a more uh, community oriented road and one that really prioritizes that, that home, that, that West Shore and Langford um, residents alike will really find pride in. Yeah, I agree. That's a great outcome. And I do hope for the best for them. I said I was there today. They have an amazing new bike park, Geordie Lund Bike Park, that's going to be opening in two weeks. That is far and away better than anything Victoria could even dream of creating. So there's a lot of cool things happening in Langford. I don't want to knock them for that. Um, so uh, we're lucky to have them and, and hope for the best. And, uh, you know, it's good to talk about it. I think having this, hopefully people will resonate with this episode and hopefully we'll hear more stories. I know Jeremy and I want to keep talking about Langford and keep talking about development in the region because um, we really are one big CRD. So it's, it's really great to talk to you guys about this. Uh, Aaron and Malia, thank you for coming on and, and sharing your expertise. I've yeah. definitely learned a lot from both of you guys who I would call the experts here. Yeah. Uh, and and hopefully we can we can maybe do this again. See what see what happens in six months. See where Langford for change voters for change are. Maybe have some of them on next time. Yeah, and I like to echo that. Thanks, Malia. Thanks, uh, Matt. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, thank you guys. It's been such a pleasure to talk about this. Yeah, it's been really great. I'm I'm looking forward to doing it sometime in the future. Thanks, uh, Jeremy, Malia, and, and Matt for, for uh, honestly engaging in this conversation. I think it's one that needs to happen, and I'm glad that it happened now. I just quickly wanted to also just add to the fact that uh, I'm a part of Capital Daily, um, and we're really pushing for more coverage on the West Shore. Um, similar to this conversation that we're having in Langford, we want to open that to, to Colwood, to Machosen, to the Highlands, um, to places where we're seeing a lot of growth, a lot, a lot of growth. And we value that at Capital Daily. Um, we are known for our in-depth and long-form coverage, um, as you've seen across the region. Um, and I'm going to be uh, at the forefront of our West Shore newsletter, which is hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> launching in April. Uh, we will keep you updated as it comes along. But uh, yeah, feel free to uh, look us up and, and subscribe when the, when the news comes down because we want to stay connected and, and keep the, the residents of the West Shore in the know on what's happening in their own backyard. And thanks once again for you guys for listening and tuning in. We really appreciate it. And we hope you uh, come in for the next episode as well. Thank you for joining us for this very special episode of the Capital Daily Podcast with the Best Coast Political Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please feel free to give us a rating and a review and share and subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. We post new shows every Monday to Friday. My name is Jackie Lamport. This is the Capital Daily Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow.